So it is so good to be here. I get to visit with a lot of churches. A little bit about me, not that I like to talk about me, but you should know something about the guy talking to you. Uh, my wife, Lynn, we've been, as of this month, will be 33 years of marriage, so we're pleased about that. My, uh, we have no kids of our own, but we are unofficially parents of three Kenyan sisters. Uh, as we, we've done ministry there, when they're in the U.S., we're mom and dad, and when they're in Kenya, they're bio mom and dad or mom and dad. Uh, one of them just moved to Phoenix after getting her graduate degree in clinical psych, and the other two are still in college in South Carolina and so we get to be parents, so to speak, for them. And that's, that's our family. My first career was in software. I did software for 15 years. And then God uh, tricked me into going to seminary. <laughs> and then later said, oh, the reason I brought you here is uh, a major vocational shift. And so I did pastoral ministry for 20 years and then been in this position just, just over a year, actually. I, I started last April. And so now we're into May, just getting into it. All the guys who've done this position for a long time say it takes two years to figure it out. At first, I thought they were kidding. It, it certainly does take a couple of years to figure out what I'm doing. But let me introduce you to a little bit of the, the EFCA and the Midwest District. First of all, the EFCA, who we are as a movement. We, we, we're, we call it a denomination, but we're like the most anti-denominational denomination you can find. We are a movement 1,600 churches or so in the U.S. with, of course, ministries overseas, 17 districts, and each district has a superintendent. Uh, one of them actually has two that they share the position, and so I have one of those. That The free church exists to glorify God by multiplying transformational churches among all people. And if you ever take time just to think about that statement and unpack it, it's an amazing statement. There's so much in that of who we are and who we want God to make us to be. Headquartered in Minneapolis, and if you want to know more about the denomination, it's efca.org. That's our denomination, EFCA. Our district, the Midwest District, we are, and I can't see that map so well, but it's Nebraska and Kansas and KC Metro. About 100 churches across those two states, and I get a little bit of Missouri in there. Uh, and we have a, a board of 10 members and a ministry team, I'll introduce you to the ministry team in just a second. And our website is efcamidwest.org, kind of easy. But our team, uh, I don't expect to be able to read all that, but just to know that we have a team there. All these guys are full-time pastors in their churches except for one and for me. But then they have some time that they give towards the district to, to work in their specialty. And so we have worship ministries, all people's ministries, theology and credentialing. There's, there's my ugly face. And then student ministries, uh, next gen, we also call regional and global initiatives, missions, and then multiplication, uh, which includes church planting, but it's not just church planting. It's how do we multiply within our own district. And so any of these guys would be more than happy to come and serve your church in whatever capacity they can. That's why they do this. They love doing this in whatever you might need. For example, Donald Adams, he's, he's kind of new to the team. If, if your worship team wants to learn about the theology of worship, or if you want to learn about the difference between leading music and leading worship, those kinds of things, or technical issues, Donald can come in and help with those kinds of things. Uh, there's going to be a uh, first ever for our district, a worship leaders conference in late 
July, the last Friday and Saturday of July, and it's particularly geared for part-time and volunteer worship leaders. The full-time guys have their conferences. They're welcome to come to this, but this is particularly geared for those who don't have a lot of conferences to their advantage for our district. So that's the kind of thing that we can do. And our, our vision statement is a huge mouthful, and I don't have time to unpack it. But with a vision for multiplying disciple-making congregations among all people, our team delights in serving Midwest district churches, like this one, in discovering and pursuing their vision and to be better together. It is not my job to give you your vision, tell you what to do, how to lead your church. I have zero authority. I have none. And so I can come in and help and serve, and, and, and I don't have any ability to make you do anything at all. We serve you, and we delight in doing so. So any way that I can serve you, then please let me know. I'm, I'm thankful for Dave, on, the, on the foundation board. I appreciate your work on that. Ron, for your service in the, in the free church, in our district in particular, and of course for Clint and Greta. I'm, I'm grateful for them too. Um, anyway, that's enough about us. That's enough about all this. Let's move on to God's word together. And before we do, let's pray. Father, we pause because we want to give you our best. A lot of us are here because you have transformed us. And there may be some people here that wish you would or could. But Father, we all do want transformation, to be more like Christ, to have that deep peace and joy and hope, the capacity to love the unlovely lovely people, to forgive as we've been forgiven. Father, we all desire, ultimately, and we fight the flesh in that. So build us up and make us a little different. We didn't come here to get affirmed as to why we've been. We've come here to be made more like Christ. And by the power of your word and the power of your spirit, that's actually possible. We pray for you to do as you please among us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be turning to 1 Thessalonians while you're finding your way. Perhaps you have at some point mentioned to someone, yeah, I'm an evangelical. And they say, oh, that must mean, and then they add in whatever they want to add in. Well, that must mean you vote a certain way. Or, oh, you're evangelical. That must mean that you are against or hate this, this, and this. Oh, you're evangelical. That must mean you're a racist. Have you ever heard any kind of pushback on the word evangelical? Do you hesitate to even use the word at times because you know how some people might respond? Oh, you're, you're one of those. And the term can become almost um, something we're shy about. And, and what do we even mean by the word Evangelical. So we're going to look at that in 1 Thessalonians, and then also we're going to turn to Galatians 5 in just a minute, of what it means to be evangelical and what it means to be free. And so in 1 Thessalonians, we learn something about the, the town and the church there in the book of Acts. Paul and his companions arrive in Thessalonica, and the people in the town are going, they're, they're turning the world upside down. These guys are, you know, stop them, and they get kicked out. Paul gets kicked out of town, basically after a very short time. And so Paul then moves on, moves to Athens, then to Corinth, and he, 
he sends a couple of letters back with Timothy, one of his, his companions. And I can just imagine the people in Thessalonica, this church, this group of people who now say, yeah, we, we're Christ followers. And they say, oh, you're one of them. You only have one God. Or whatever they may fill in. And that one actually is a true accusation. I like that one. But I'm going to read, and, and I'm going to just ask you to stand in honor of the Word of God. I don't know if you do that, but we're doing it today. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith and labor of love and perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God our Father, knowing, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sakes. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place. The news of your faith toward God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. For they themselves report about us as to the kind of reception we had with you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, from whom he raised from the dead, whom he raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Verse 1. He opens up and, and gives a kind of a typical greeting, Paul, Savannah, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Grace and peace to the church. So this letter is to a group of people and not to other people. It's to the church. It is not to the not church. And even in the introduction, we see that there's, there's, there's an identity, there's a distinction. There are some people called the church, and there are going to be some people who are called not the church. So who is and isn't the church? I think in the last couple of years, COVID-19 has focused this question on what does it mean to be the church if we can't meet on a Sunday morning? Are we still the church? Am I at the church? Am I not at the church? What is the church? Who is the church and who is not the church? Who are we? And even in this introduction, there's, there's an identity that some people have and some people do not have. Verse 2, we always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly keeping in mind your work of faith, your labor of love, and the perseverance of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the presence of God, our God and Father. So he gives thanks, he mentions them in prayer because of their faith and their hope and their love, the three good hippie words, faith, hope, and love. They've got them, but it's not just that. It's not just their attributes that they have faith, hope, and love. There's action involved. There is the work of faith, the labor of love, and the perseverance or endurance of hope. 
So it's not just the three hippie words. It's not just attributes. It's also how they live. It's a lifestyle. Whoever they are, whatever it means to be church, there are some attributes, but there's also they live a certain way and they don't live a different way. It's attributes and actions, who we are and what we do, identity and lifestyle. Being evangelical is not separated from living an evangelical life. They believe, but it's more than what they believe. Verse 4, knowing, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, his choice of you. Man, that's just packed. Little tiny verse. First of all, Knowing, brothers, brothers and sisters, so your identity, whoever you are, whatever it means to be church, what it means to be evangelical in this case, is there's something like family involved. There's a relationship. It's, it's who you are, it's what you do, but it's also how you relate to others. There's, there's a, a community aspect to this idea of being evangelical, but even big, bigger and better than that is you are beloved by God. Wow. There are some people that aren't loved by God the way you are. God loves everyone. We know that. But you, evangelical, you the church, there's something about you God loves special that he doesn't other people. And that's just an amazing thought to me that God loves us in a way that he doesn't love others even though he loves others perfectly. So it's our identity, but our community identity being beloved by God. But there's a key word in verse 4. And that is the word, how am I doing here? Called, or his choice of you. You are the church because God chose you to be the church. God called you to be the church. Who is an evangelical? An evangelical is someone that God called to be an evangelical. Because there are some people God did not call to be an evangelical. And I don't know how that works. But I know it's true. And Paul's going to confuse this in just a minute, so we'll get there. There are some who are chosen. There are some who are not chosen. But how are they chosen? Verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You were called by the gospel. It is the gospel by which you are called by God to be the church. We are of a certain nature, and that nature of who we are has something to do with this word gospel. Now, I usually don't spend a whole lot of time in the original language, but in this case, it actually matters. The word gospel is the Greek word euangelion, from which we get the word evangel or evangelical. There's our word. It means good news, literally good news. So who we are as evangelicals means we are gospel people, if we just want to use the English word, and that means we are good news people. That's the pure definition. It's just, you can't be evangelical without being good news, because that's what it means. So who we are, we are called by God to be good news people. We cannot be evangelical without the gospel. We cannot be evangelical without being good news people. So we evangelicals are called to be good news people. Now we're starting to narrow down what it means to be evangelical. Right? We're, we're called by God. He summoned from heaven to call us to be good news people. 
We are called by the gospel. It's the gospel invitation by which we became good news people. We are called through the gospel. The content of the gospel is the message that has the power to save for those who believe. And we are called for the gospel. We are now called for a mission related to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are good news people. That is who we are. That's what defines us. There's nothing else that defines us but this. We are not defined by politics. You ask the New York Times, and I'm not picking on them, but you ask them what's an evangelical and they'll probably give you a political definition. But that's not good news, and so it's not who we are. We are not defined by what we're against in the culture, because that's not good news. That doesn't define us by what we don't like. We're not defined by how we, we are judgmental. Hopefully we aren't judgmental, but that doesn't define who we are because that's certainly not good news. No, what defines us as evangelical is the gospel, the euangelion, the good news. We are called to be good news people. So how in the world did the world get the wrong idea about the word evangelical? I think we helped them. I think there are times when we live like the word evangelical is a political word. I think there's sometimes we live like the word evangelical is to define what we're against. I think sometimes we live like the, the word evangelical is, is and, and grievously so by some, to be judgmental. So if the world has the wrong idea, we helped. So sometimes we use the word evangelical in a, word, in a way that doesn't mean good news. So when I use the word evangelical, Am I thinking good news? Am I thinking about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is that what I'm thinking when I use the word? Or am I using that word to talk about something else that isn't really good news? So the first thing, we are called to be good news people by definition of the word. Secondly, we find our life in the good news. Why do I have life? For the good news. Because of the good news and for the good news. That's why I have life. Why do we have a church? Why are you a church? For the good news. That's where we find our life. That's where we find our identity. That's where we find our purpose. That's where we find our mission is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so that word means this is where we find life. And if we don't have the good news, we don't have life. So we are called to be good news people. And we find our life in the good news, individually and as a church. And then verse 6, you became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word during great affliction with joy, the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of God has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place the news of your faith toward God has gone out, so that we have no need to say anything. Let's break that up a little bit. Six, verse six, we have our lives transformed by the gospel, by the good news. It says, you became imitators of us. That's how they live, not just what they believe. They lived differently. They started imitating Paul and his companions and especially following, imitating the Lord himself. But because of the good news, their lives were transformed and now they live a different life. And he said, you, were, you received the gospel among tribulation and troubles and you had joy. The world was saying, don't have joy, don't have joy. And you had joy anyway. Your attitude was different. 
It was transformed by the good news when everything around you is trying to give you bad news. You're different. You're changed. You're transformed by this gospel. It's who we are and what we do. It's our identity and our lifestyle. It's more than I believe evangelical things. It's more than that. It's I live an evangelical life. Which is more than saying I live a moral life. A lot of people live a moral life. They don't live an evangelical life, a good news life that's been transformed. And here's where I said Paul's going to confuse things for us. He said God chose you, but then it also says or you received. You received the gospel. You had a hand in this. You did something. God called you and you received. I don't know how it works, but there it is. You took this in. And when you took this in, you took everything, including a new life. But then verse 7 and 8, it wasn't just they began to imitate Paul and the Lord Jesus, but then now they became an example to others. All throughout the region, people started imitating them. And so not only did they find their life in the good news and have their lives transformed by the good news, they share their life as good news. This transformed life is now part of the good news. Look what Jesus did to me. Look what he did for me. Look what he did in me. Look what he's doing through me. My life is different. I believe differently. I live differently. I have joy when the world says don't have joy because of the good news. And now others can be pointed to the Lord Jesus because my life's been transformed. That's what it means to be evangelical. Paul later says in chapter 2, verse 8, in the same way, We had a fond affection for you, and we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. Our actions are different. Our attitude is different. And now they became examples to others. So we're called to be this. It's where we find life. Our lives are transformed, and now our lives become part of the good news itself. Verses 9 and 10 and to wait for his son from heaven. Excuse me. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had among you, how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They had idols in the rearview mirror and Jesus out the windshield. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You see, We live life motivated by the good news. Because we believe the good news is the good news for everyone. Every person on the planet, this is the good, it's the same good news. This is the good news for everyone. It's not just the good news for us, it's not just the good news for the West, it's not just the good news for it's the good news for everyone. Because there's something called bad news. The wrath of God is coming. That's bad news, but there's good news. Jesus rescues us from the wrath to come. And we believe that's the good news for everyone. We also believe there's no other good news. This is the only good news. It's not just for one culture and another culture has a different, no. There's only one set of good news, which means your really, really, really nice neighbor who doesn't know Jesus, that niceness is not good news. It's not the gospel. It can't save them. There's bad news. 
And so now we have an urgency with the good news and with only the good news to then share that with others because the wrath of God is coming. And so we're motivated by this good news. And so when someone says, oh, you're evangelical? That must mean so-and-so or this? Don't let them define the word. It's not their word to define. It's the word given to us. It's the word we were called for. It's God's word to define. Some people say, should we get rid of the word evangelical because it's so misconstrued and misused? Should we just not use the word? I will, I will change the word evangelical to something else as soon as you find me a better word. But there's no better word that defines us. There's no better word that describes who we are. We're good news people. What we believe, how we live, the attitude we have, all of that's transformed by the good news. By and through and for the good news. Give me a better word, and then I'll switch. I want to keep the word. And I'm not going to let the world define it for me. So here's, here's what I recommend. If someone challenges you, or they say, oh, you're evangelical, that must mean, or somehow they use the word in a way that just, just drives you crazy. There are two questions I would ask. The first question is, and, and, and with a beautiful attitude, ask, so when you use the word evangelical, what do you mean by that? What, how, how are you using the word? And whatever they say, don't argue. Don't go, don't fight. You're, you, you just used a word. What do you mean by it? Tell me what you think it means or how you're using it. And that's, that's how you're using it. And then if they do give you some answer to what the word evangelical means as they use it, then the second question is, would you like to know what I mean when I use the word? And if they say no, don't force it on them. But if they say yes, and they should because you just gave them the chance, then now you can explain it means we're good news people. It doesn't mean that other stuff. Sometimes it gets confused. But here's what I mean when I use the word. That I, have, I am called by God by the good news, through the good news, for the good news, to be good news people, to have not only a belief system, but to live a certain way, to imitate Jesus. That's what it means. And this is good news for everyone. And, and there, by asking those two questions, you actually might get a chance to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they gave you permission. So that's the word evangelical. And we need to look at this other word, free. Because we are the Evangelical Free Church of America, but I want to be careful. This is not a rah-rah denominational sermon. What I'm teaching you should be true of every evangelical church, regardless of whether they're with the free church or not. But, but this does describe why we are the way that we are. That we hold these two things so firmly that we put it in our name, and this is, this is what it means for us to, to be church and to be better together, are these two ideas. And so it does define us, but it's not just about us. The word free. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians, Paul goes through the, the region of, of Galatia every missionary journey. He goes through there in some way. And sometimes he stops and sometimes he kind of blows through. But he always goes through there. Several churches there. He gets beat up everywhere he goes. And then he goes right back to them because that's Paul. But they started to, to believe a different gospel. A different good news, which is not good news, ever. 
And so he hammers them on the fact that they're abandoning the good news, the gospel, they're good news people, and he says, he, in, in even the chapter one, he just slams them for adopting a different claim of good news. He says, You're, you foolish Galatians. I would love to say that in a sermon sometime. You foolish people. Not you. And then he gets to chapter 4, verse 9, where he says, um, basically, do you, do you want to return back to slavery? Is that what you want? You, you're, you had the gospel of good news, and, and you're kind of throwing that to the side to this other thing that kind of sounds similar, but really what it is is slavery. Is that what you want? And then we get to chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. For freedom. See, evangelicals have been set free in Christ. That's part of what it means to be evangelical, is to be free. He, he set you free. Why? To be free. He, he, he set you free so that you could just be that, to be a free people. Instead of going back to slavery, he set you free. Now, you can't be set free unless you used to be a slave. If you're not a slave, you can't be set free. So if you've been set free, you were a slave to all kinds of things, but namely the, the power of sin in your life, the, the penalty of sin in your life, and even the presence of sin in your life. You've been set free from all of that. You've been set free from slavery to the law. You've been set free from slavery to the flesh. You've been set free, and it's because of freedom that you were set free in verse 1. But then, second part of verse 1, therefore, because you've been set free, because that's a true statement about who you are, therefore, now, live a certain way. Again, identity, action, who we are, what we do. Therefore, you've been set free, therefore, keep standing firm. And do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Because you've been set free, stand firm. Because this is true, now do this. Now, you can only stand firm if you're free. If you're a slave to sin, you can't stand firm. Because you're under the wrath of God to come. You can't stand firm in that. But you've been set free, so now stand free in, in that certain way. So the, the fact that you're free means that you have a certain life that you, you should live. Do this in a certain way because, verse, let's skip to verse 13, for you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. See, again, we are called to be free. It's the same terminology. It's the same idea. You've been called to be evangelical. You've been called to be free, summoned by name from heaven to be free. It's who we are. God called us to be this thing called free. Because verse 13, but only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. Live a certain way, but serve one another through love. In other words, we are called to be free, but we are not called to be free agents. You've been set free, so don't live according to the flesh. The tendency is to say, I've been set free, I can live how I want. That's what freedom means, right? No, it does not. Because if you live according to the flesh, however you 
your flesh wants to live, you're not free. You're a slave to your flesh. It's a kind of slavery. It sounds like freedom to us. It sounds, I can live however I want. No, you're not free if you're living according to the flesh. You're a slave. And he says, I don't want you to put that yoke of slavery back on. You're called to be free, but you're not called to be a free agent. We live, if we live according to the flesh, we're not actually free. The only way to be free is to live a certain way, to be a slave of Christ. Uh, verse, the last part of verse 13, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, if you tear each other down, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under, you're not a slave to the law. See, we're finally free to be the church. So only love one another. Well, I, I, I can't love you if I'm not free. If, if I'm a slave to the flesh, if I'm a slave to the law, if I've got to, to try and figure out my own salvation, I'm not free to love you, not completely, because I've got to love myself first. I've got to take care of me first, and I'm not free to love you. But if I am free, I can now love you completely. I can love you the way Jesus loves you. I can do that now. I couldn't do that before. I'm now free to love you. Or, as it also says, we're free to to serve one another. If I'm busy serving myself first, I'm not free to love you. But if I am free, I can serve you. I can build you up instead of tear you down. I don't have to tear you down to make myself look better. I'm free. And I can build you up all, all day long. I can do that because I'm taken care of. And you can build me up too. And even to be led by the Spirit as a church, as people, but as a church, you're now free. Like in John 3 when Jesus tells Nicodemus, the, the wind does whatever it wants and it just blows people wherever it wants to. And if you're not free, you're not going with the wind because you're stuck. The only way that the Spirit can lead you is if you're free to be led. And as a church, we can now be, we can finally be the church because we've been made free. And I'm going to jump to 1 Peter 2.16 just for one more. You don't need to turn there. Act as free people. But do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bondservants of God. In other words, we are finally free to be slaves of Christ. Now that sounds funny, doesn't it? You're finally free to be a slave. But I look at it this way. I get to be a slave of Christ now. I couldn't do that before. What a privilege to be able to be a slave of the Lord of the universe. I was not able to do that before. If I'm not free, I can't be his slave because I'm a slave of someone else, something else. But now that I'm free, now I get to be a slave of Jesus Christ. I couldn't do that before. Hallelujah, I finally get to be one of these. We're free to be slaves of Jesus. That's what it means to be free. And so we are called to be 
both free and evangelical. It's what we're called by God to be. And if you don't know about the history of our particular movement, you have a bunch of people that, that have the same kind of name as Emma and look like her. <laughs> Who came over from Scandinavia, Sweden and Nor- Norway and some other places because they were escaping the state Lutheran and even state Catholic church because they weren't free. And they wanted to pursue the gospel, the good news. And so they came over and they picked the most beautiful part of the country right around here. We were cleaning out the office that we sold, the district office, and we found a lot of original documents in Swedish. And some of our churches still have their founding documents in Swedish. But they wanted to be good news people together. That's where we came from. We are called by God to be both. And because we as a movement hold these two truths so firmly, that describes why we do what we do. That describes why I have no authority. We jokingly say I'm like a bishop only without the authority and respect. But it's because we believe that you are free as a church. And let me explain a little bit in just a second. But this is true of any free church, any evangelical church. But this is why the free church is so weird. In a good way. And why you are the way that you are in a good way. You're part of a movement that is across this country, but also it has cousins in other countries as well of churches that exist to multiply healthy congregations among all people. That's what we're part of. That's the narrative that we're a part of. And so we are called to be both free and evangelical. And some people don't want you to be either. They don't want you to be free. They don't want you to be evangelical, a good news person. And so our life is found only in the good news of Jesus. Our life can be transformed by the good news of Jesus. We can share our life as good news, motivated by the good news of Jesus. And we are finally free to be the church and to be slaves of Christ. You, church, are called to be this. You, church, are called to do this. To live an evangelical life. You are free to believe or not believe. The the people who started our movement, Scandinavians, fled because the church told them what to believe. Now you're free to believe, and you're free not to believe, which is why we have something called evangelism. If you're told what to believe, we don't need evangelism. But you're free to not believe, and so we do need good news-ism to good news other people. You are free to self-govern as a local church. That's what they didn't have. That's what they wanted. And so now we have things called autonomy, where a church makes its own decisions. I can't make them for you. You have, you have congregational rule. You have elders. You have pastors. Whatever your structure is, that's what you have to, to be self-governing. And this is why, by the way, membership is so important. Membership's not in the Bible. No, it's not. But if you're going to self-govern as a church... The only way to self-govern is by membership. It's the only way to do it, do it the right way. That's why it's important. It's why we have this thing called membership is because of what we believe. You are free to associate with the church family of your choice. You can church hop because the, the church back in Scandinavia told you which church was yours. 
That church, you go to that church. You don't go to that church, you go to that church. You're free to associate with any church that you want to. So we are free to associate, which is why we believe we are better together. Because we can freely associate as a movement of like-minded people to be the church and why my job is like herding cats. Come on, pastor, this way. Come on, pastor, this way. Come on, pastor, this way. So, it's, our structure is the most beautiful and frustrating thing. It is, sometimes I want authority. Sometimes I just admit I want it and then I'm glad I don't have it. You are free to obey without coercion. Think about that for a second. You were coerced to believe at a certain time in Sweden, Norway. You didn't really believe, but you were told to believe. And so now that means that your, belief, your obedience is from an internal commitment, not an external force. And because that's true, because obedience now becomes an internal commitment on your part, that's why we have something called discipleship is to build in one another an internal commitment to obey Jesus. That's why we have evangelism. It's why we have freely associating as as a, a, a denomination together. It's why we have membership. It's why we have discipleship because of what we believe and what it means to be free and evangelical. You are a free good news people who are free to live a good news life together. Let's pray. Father, there may be some people here today that have not yet received the good news with joy as the Thessalonians did. And so, Father, I pray that, if, that your spirit is doing a mysterious work where you call and yet they receive. And I don't know how that works, but, Father, I pray for it to happen. Even Today, even in this moment, Father, there's someone who's, who's ready to have their sins forgiven and to have their, their, not only their future secure with you, but their present changed and transformed by the good news of Jesus. Father, I pray that they would, they would ask to receive that forgiveness and they would tell one of the elders here, one of the teachers here, one of the, uh, just a trusted person who knows Jesus, that they would tell someone so we can begin to walk together. And I pray for Stanley be free, Father. I thank you that your gospel has transformed this people for 70 years. Amen and amen to the work you have done and are doing and will do. And Lord, would you please, would you please bless Pastor and his wife with rest and nourishment and cleansing. And we ask all this in the great name of King Jesus. Amen.